welcome to Mystery. I'm Vincent Price. Tonight, Sherlock Holmes fathoms a mysterious series of bizarre break-ins during the adventure of the six Napoleons. Now, anyone who has visited sunny Italy might think that the icy and coldly rational Sherlock Holmes would surely be out of his element there. But Holmes tells us that after he flipped Professor Moriarty into Switzerland's Reichenbach Falls, he escaped into Italy to disappear for a while. Well, during Holmes's time, there were many Italian immigrants living in London. The area of the city above Holborn, known as Saffron Hill, was the quarter where these foreigners lived. Their spirited Mediterranean ways occasionally making more conservative Londoners rather suspicious of them. <laughs> now, you may remember from The Woman in White here on Mystery that Wilkie Collins' villain, Count Fosco, and the kindly Signor Pesca had both been part of a secret Italian organization with its own system of justice for members who didn't follow the rules. Mafia? Well, maybe. Certainly the Mafia was known in London during Holmes's day. Tonight, a strange series of crimes suggests to Holmes a connection with London's Italian community, and we'll soon see the opportunity to investigate the adventure of the Six Napoleons is an offer he can't refuse. Welcome to the LBC Irregulars, a story-by-story review of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes series produced by Granada Television between 1984 and 1994. I'm your host, Kathy Bright. Joining me on this adventure through Sherlock Holmes is the Sherlock Holmes to my Irene Adler, Jared, the yard sale artist, Albrick. Good evening, Jared. How are you today? Good evening, Kathy. As usual, I have brought you a gift. I hand-painted... They don't normally come hand-painted, but I hand-painted you these six mini busts of Napoleon Dynamite. So I hope (laughs) you enjoy them. Do they come with tater tots? (laughs) Yeah, gosh, yeah. Well, I appreciate the Napoleon Dynamite busts, and I have brought you a gift as well. Mm. I figured it was probably going to be a long night of recording, so... Might get a little peckish, so I brought you some humbugs to snack on while we record tonight. Bah! Humbug! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, the, I, I'm very happy with this box of humbugs, so thank you. You're very welcome. Well, enough of this witty banter. Let's introduce our special guest. All right. On this episode, we will complete our review of the third season of the Granada Sherlock Holmes series. Or per IMDb, we'll be completing the first of the second season of The Return of Sherlock Holmes, something like that. It gets very confusing, people. (laughs) Once again, we are expanding our podcasting reach to include a political science and history professor, a sports and pop culture podcaster, and a science fiction and fantasy author. No, we don't have three different guests on with us. These all describe our very good friend, Mr. Van Allen Plexico. Welcome to the show, Van. How are you? Hey, I'm so excited to finally get to do this. This has been one of my favorite shows, the Sherlock Holmes, Jeremy Brett show for ages and ages. I have the whole series on DVD, and so it's really exciting to get to talk about it with two of my good best friends in the world. Well, we are very excited to have you. 
Mm-hmm. I've decided to do the entire episode in Italian, so try to keep up. It was hard <laughs> enough to keep up with that episode, but anyway. <laughs> Both of them. Hey, quick question. Was that episode ever subtitled, or did you just have to roll with it? Because I just had to roll with it. <laughs> roll, baby, roll. going to talk about this in the episode. That's, you bring that, things in I, from Plex, like you can choose to bring in subtitles. And I was like, did I forget to bring in the subtitles? <laughs> Every now and then I heard bastardo. And yeah, I was like, oh, I know that one. I think I heard the Italian word for assassin, maybe, at the end. But <laughs> hmm. anyway. All right, folks. Well, with that out of the way. It's now time for Kathy to give us a recap of our first story. If you're not familiar with the six Napoleons, you might get the ending spoiled. Kathy? Watson and Lestrade are enjoying a quiet evening together at 221B. After very little coaxing, Lestrade offers details of a curious case involving three identical busts of Napoleon that have been found shattered at multiple locations across London. This piques Sherlock's interest and he tells Lestrade he would be obliged to hear of any fresh developments in this case. The very next morning, Holmes and Watson are summoned to a home in Kensington where on arrival, Holmes immediately knows that there has been at least an attempted murder. Journalist Horace Harker tells of how he not only has his Napoleon bust stolen, but he opened his front door to find a dead man on his doorstep. Why are these statues being stolen and destroyed? And what is their connection to murder? Keep listening, and we might all find out together. Right, Kathy, good job. It is now time for us to discuss our highs and our lows or our what those or whatever as we take a look at the good, the bad, or the meh of each of these episodes. Of course, we are starting with the six Napoleons. And of course, we are going to start with our guest. You get to lead off round one, Van. Are you thinking a, a high or a low or what's your initial thought? What was your big lasting impression from this one? Jared, I'm sure your comments were of the greatest interest, but I regret to say I didn't listen to a word of them. Forgive me, I had a rather late night. <laughs> Oh, that's good. <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs> See, this is why we have professionals on this show. State your case. <laughs> this has always been one of my favorites. I love the story it's based on. It was one of my favorite stories. The thing that's always struck me interesting about it is that it's such a revelation of hiding something inside a little statue in like 1890 when it was written. You know, it's such a cliche today. The modern reader or viewer is immediately like, oh, they hid something in it, right? We immediately know that. But that was not a cliche, you know, when this was written 130, you know, whatever years ago. And so it's kind of a neat idea because I like it that everybody's assumption other than Holmes is, oh, it's some political thing where they just, it's like in the jerk. He hates these cans. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he hates Napoleon. Why? It must be anti-Napoleonic radicals who want to destroy everything that has to do with, I bet he had a relative that was killed by Napoleon in the wars, you know. There's something hidden in the statue, y'all. Come on. <laughs> but no, that I think that's my favorite thing is just how the concept of it has changed over the years that their first thought back then was you hate Napoleon, right? I guess that would make sense in a British story too, right? Americans would be like, Napoleon, who's that almost? Whereas the British, <laughs> like, Napoleon, we destroyed the statue. <laughs> you know? so that's probably, I wanted to mention too, 
if I can, that there's two guest stars in this episode that intrigued me. Now, Kathy, you said you one of them. Is this one? Yes. And I was not going to use one. it as one of mine because I thought maybe you would bring it up. So tell us, if you would, what yours was, and I'll tell you the other one. It is Deanna Troy from Star yes. Trek. <laughs> Next yes. Generation. I, I kept looking and going, yes. <laughs> I was doing the same thing. I was like, I know you. <laughs> I knew who it was immediately. But the weird thing is when they show the close-up of her, it didn't look like her. It looked like a dude. <laughs> Well, she's she a beautiful was, woman, but yeah. Well, she was playing Italian, which threw me off because I think she's Greek or whatever. And she mm-hmm. she was a lot thinner and younger and everything. Just t- not thinner in the sense of that she'd gotten bigger later, but just in the sense that she just looked young. You know, she looked like a teenager almost. It probably mm-hmm. was. I meant to look, but I would assume it's probably one of her first roles. I know a lot of actors we've talked about who have done guest roles on this show. Guy who plays Lance a lot from Excalibur. Even Queen Guinevere, she's been in this show as well. Yeah, the the one that always struck me was James Purifoy. Was this this random dude in one of the episodes? And I'm like, that's like Mark Anthony from Rome and Hap and Leonard. It's Hap. The other one for me, Mr. Brown. Near the end, they go to the house of the next to last guy, the fifth Napoleon. And he's on the stairs. He wants them to come in and hang out or something. He's like, he's a lonely dude. You know, you can come in and whatever. They're like, well, thank you. We'll see you later. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> that guy was talky from the winds of war. He was the British reporter who was the father of Natalie, the main female character played by Ally McGraw. And so he's the one that talks a lot with, uh, what's his name? The main winds of war guy. Uh, Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> I've never seen winds of war. So I'm um, so hard. <laughs> but anyway, he always goes like, Ho, 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 ho. I was watching it. I'm like, is he going to get to do one? And he did. <laughs> he got one ho in there and then they cut him off. I was like, oh, they still <laughs> let him keep going for a while. Because he does that all the way through Winds of War. He's like, eh, eh, what? What pug? Ho, ho, ho. Eh, what? Ho. That's the other guy that's in it. So, all right, Van, those are uh, all well spoken. I didn't really pay attention to any of them. I had quite a late night, but Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> It is your turn. Are you going to lead off with Watson Watch on this episode? Do you have a Watson Watch? Or are you going to break out and do something different? Well, I mean, I do love we get a very jovial Watson in this episode. Lots of smiling Watson. Admiration of Holmes. Just, you know, the way he lights up when he sees him doing well. So that's really my only Watson Watch for this. Nothing specific. Well, good, because I have a specific thing. <laughs> well, please tell us about it. I really was charmed in this one about how Holmes included Watson to, I don't know if he was doing it to make Watson feel good or to cut Lestrade down just a little bit more, (laughs) but the whole, why did he pick this spot? And Holmes is like, give Watson clues. He's like pointing at the street lamp. He's like the street lamp. He picked this one so he could have the lighting uh, yes. you we know, so could see what he was. He was I doing. did like that scene. Yeah. And uh, I was really charmed by that. And I was split down the middle of, is he doing it to make his friend feel part of it and to feel good? Or is he doing it to, to stick it to Lestrade? And my answer is, I think it's both. <laughs> I think it's yeah. Because both. he did call out Watson at the beginning when Watson was giving his. His talk on E-Day fix or something like that. Yes. And Holmes was like, that just will not do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that was my sort of favorite micro moment from the episode. 
And I wanted to actually ask you a question, Kathy, before we go into round two and, and get back to Van. I don't know if you got a chance to. Oftentimes you do. Did you get to read this one? I did. Does it have this? This one had a somewhat sizable Italian prologue. We've mentioned that. They're speaking Italian and there's this big brouhaha. You, you figure out what's going on through context clues. I don't remember that being the book, but then again, I've mentioned the show many times. I read these books in their entirety probably 20 years ago, so my memory ain't great. And the reason I'm wondering is, going back to Van's point, it was so very telegraphed that the guy went into the place where they do the casting of the busts and all that. That even said even more. If someone had never read this one, they definitely would have said, there's something hidden inside one of the busts. Like, it took place there. There's a reason for it. Anyways, your thoughts, Kat? Everything was pretty much identical. It's just the order was different. Mm. So they had to break it up. They showed the beginning. I'll just go ahead and talk about one of my lows. <laughs> it was okay. just how confusing the whole situation was with the Italians. I don't oh, yeah. speak Italian. We didn't have any subtitles, closed captions. So I was, even though I had read the story, my typical process I read the story, I watch the episode, then I read the story again to see if I can tell more of what the difference is and kind of go through them at the same time. But I just remember saying, oh, this is pretty much, which is why I love this series is because I love how closely they write the scripts for this show based off the books. Apparently, that was one of Jeremy Brett's main sticking points. He was very in tune with the source material and wanted the stories that they told to be as close to the source material as possible. But I don't remember being as confused while I was reading it as I was while I was watching the episode. Even though I had actually read it, I was still, I don't know what's going on. The part where they tore the picture, I yep. thought that was her brother in the picture. I was so confused. There were too many names, too many people. I just, mm -hmm. I got way confused. No, <laughs> like, you're not alone. killing her boyfriend? <laughs> you're, you're not alone. At the end of the day, I was like, I don't care about this portion of the story. And it doesn't even really affect the mystery that much. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this is, it all felt superfluous. And I'm not going to dedicate the brain power to it. Because they tried to explain, oh, this is the other half of the picture. And this was the stones. And I was like, I don't care. I, now I know that why they were smashing busts. I, I, I don't care the story <laughs> behind it. That's exactly right. Anyways, it is, we've talked a lot. It's back to Van. He gets to, to run his mouth about this. What do you got? No, I think you're exactly right. I read the stories about 15 years ago and uh, and then wrote two for Airship 27 Anthology. So I've written Holmes twice. I've never figured out the picture thing, tearing the picture in half and the woman and the man and all. And I just, I don't know. And like you said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the outcome, really. So I just didn't really waste any more of my brain trying to understand it. But what else would you like from me now? We are about to kick off round two. So Van... You got another high you want to talk about or a low or, you know, something we haven't covered yet that you have a burning passion about on Six Napoleons. Second and final round, sir. So make it a good one. Well, Holmes does get a lot of really good lines, like the one I kind of quoted there joking at the beginning. He has some really good lines here. When you have Lestrade around, there's always a high probability that Holmes is going to fire off some zingers because he just loves to <laughs> shoot down Lestrade. And to be fair, Lestrade certainly asked for it, right? He... <laughs> All these British law enforcement guys that Holmes deals with, they never come to Holmes and say, Mr. Holmes, clearly you're an expert. Clearly, you know this stuff better than most. Could you help us? No, 
they're always like, oh, we'll show you, Holmes. <laughs> you don't know anything. And, and then he does. And it's fun that way. But you just it gives him the opportunity to say things like I just ignored. Because I love that Lestrade, that when he says the thing about I regret to say I didn't listen to a word of what you said. He says, forgive me, I had a rather late night. And Lestrade's like, like I didn't? <laughs> he just made him sit up half the night and then tells him, oh, I had a late night. You know, so that was great. <laughs> he even tells Watson, if you got a cold, it's your own fault. You didn't bring the blankets. Or the, That's what the, I was fixing to say. <laughs> I know, he was just cutting everybody down. This was a particularly Holmes cuts everybody to pieces, including Watson in some cases episode. One other thing I do want to mention, though, if you like Napoleon, like me, Napoleon's my favorite historical character. The Ridley Scott directed Napoleon movie comes out in just a few weeks on November 22nd, less than a month from when we're recording this. So I cannot wait. The second trailer for it just came out a few days ago, and it is fantastic. It's got oh, Joaquin Na- Phoenix. It's got Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon. Oh, wow. Vanessa Kirby is Josephine. And it's going to kick butt. It's going to be so great. It's going to be the first real modern take on napoleon we've gotten and i'm so excited so yeah it's just a little napoleonic connection there well by the time this episode comes out it'll been out for probably a couple months so <laughs> let us know what you think think about it ah there you I, go. Us- I usually get these edited right before although i'm behind on the last one right before we record the next one which is not till like three months away. <laughs> yeah. because this is a quarterly show so <laughs> Hopefully everybody enjoyed Napoleon, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm working on it. We're going to try to get them shorter spaced between. I believe in you, Kathy. But what is your high or low or what the for round two? I am actually going to tack on a little bit to what Van was talking about. I loved that we got the trio of Lestrade, Watson, and Holmes in this episode. I love their banter between them. They're they're just sitting in the 221B, just chilling, just hanging out, you know? (laughs) I love that scene, and my favorite scene of the whole episode is the very end, when Lestrade tells Holmes that Mm. they are proud of him, and the look on his face, because, you know, we know Holmes is not great with the emotions, and you could tell that that touched him. It was very quick, because he went cold pretty much immediately after, but you saw in his eyes how much it meant to him. He, of what the, those he, police department thought. He doesn't know how to process a compliment at all. Mm-hmm. And you're right, Kathy. That was incredibly good acting in that scene. That definitely stuck with me. It was so sincere from Lestrade. And you know how hard it was for Lestrade to say that. Oh, gosh, yes. And Holmes just didn't know what to do with it. And if I'm not mistaken, I think, and I, I'm wa- going from memory from watching this maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago. I think he even cuts a look at Watson uh, and almost like, what do I do? Because Watson is, he's the guy that handles that. We've talked about that on many episodes. Mm-hmm. You know, Watson's the guy who, remember when Holmes was grilling, we'd go back to this one a lot. He was grilling this lady, asking her questions. Watson just whispers in Holmes' ear. And then Holmes goes, all right, uh, would you like to sit down? <laughs> he doesn't think about these. No, he doesn't. Awesome, awesome catch, Kathy. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because in my final round, I was going to go back to the beginning, which you mentioned them, them just kind of hanging out the flat. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like how they're all pretending to hang out. Like Lestrade <laughs> wants some help, but he doesn't know how to broach. And Holmes knows he's there for help. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And, and Holmes is just like casting the bait, just like real. <laughs> Anything interesting going on? Mm, oh, tell me more. <laughs> so good. 
Oh, that was great. But I'm glad you remember Kathy. I would have I would have been so mad if I heard this episode air and we didn't talk about that amazing compliment that Lestrade gave him and he had no idea what to do with it. And I think too that that attitude that Holmes always has with Jeremy Brett is what so many other portrayals of Holmes misses, right? Cuz other actors can get the clever, the smart, the kind of antisocial, but they always only Jeremy Brett captures that arch acting, you know, that, that <laughs> thing that Brett does that nobody else does that makes it so good, you know. I love right. that. Oh, and we can't move on without mentioning this is the episode that gives us the gif of when Holmes comes in the door. That was another scene I do want to make note of is when Lestrade's waiting in the apartment for them to come in and they see him or Holmes sees Lestrade sitting in there by himself and he calls Watson and Watson peeks in the door. There's a gift that I use all the time. And I'm like, Oh, that's this episode. But I love that without even a second thought, Watson knew exactly what Holmes wanted to do. They walked off, they made this big, you know, uproar. So Lestrade could hear him. And like, he never had to explain to Watson that that's what he wanted to do. So I loved that. That's really good. Yeah. Well, that is the end of our official discussion rounds. Does anybody here have any additional things they really need to talk about on this episode before we move on? All right. Nobody. We're all good here. I'll just let the listeners know. Six Napoleons. We're going to rank it pretty soon. Um, You don't need to see the first five. You can come right in at number six. (laughs) Six is Uh, the best one anyway. Six is probably the best of the whole series. (laughs) I heard you more Italians, though. (laughs) But they're really need, Greek. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Greek Italians. <laughs> That's what we need. And with that, I hand it over to Kathleen to give us our guide through the scoring of this episode. So overall, what did we think of this episode? Well, we're in luck. We just happened to have a system in place that helps us rate each episode on a scale of one to five pipes. Five, you loved it. It solved your mystery. Aha. Four, it was really good. Mm-hmm. Three, it was all right. Mm-hmm. Two, you did not like it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. One, you hated it. It threw you off of Reichenbach Falls. <sighs> How would you rate this story, Van? Yeah, like I said, the short story is one of my favorites, but in terms of how it was produced here, and there are highs, but I think it's about a three, honestly. I think it's probably three because as much as I do like some of the stuff that we've just talked about, the whole Italian nonsense that just didn't ever add up takes a pipe away from it for me. So three. I think I would agree with you. I was kind of going back and forth between a three and a four. And especially, you know, as we were talking, you may or may not know this. I'm a fan of Watson. I love a side character, the comic relief, so to speak. (laughs) But like you said, I think the confusion in the whole Italian scenes was enough to make me lean towards the three versus the four as well. Jared, what about you? I will crank it up to the four. I won't go the full five pipes, but I will crank it up to the four. Yes, it did lose some ground with me because of the Italian padding, I guess we could call it. Sometimes these episodes feel padded like they're trying to fill 50 minutes. I mean, they had a whole fight choreography scene where my man did like a front flip with a knife and then I don't even know how that resolved. Anyway, <laughs> so that was a, that was a downgrade. But Kathy, kudos to you for bringing up that final scene where he got that compliment, and that was just so 
powerful to me. It was enough to lift to three to the four. Like that scene right there, that moment is a reason I would go back and replay. I would replay this episode, maybe even skip to that very scene. To me, that was very powerful. Uh, That's when, why I was struggling because I do love the how much Lestrade is in this episode as well. Definitely, definitely. There's an episode of Sherlock, the Cumberpatch series, that I will go back to and just watch one scene. It's the scene at the wedding where Sherlock does the toast. And it's so emotional and so good. I go back to it and I feel very similarly about this. So I will push what probably deserves a three to a four just for that impact moment at the end. Well, hopefully one of these days we will get to the Sherlock series if listeners are interested in that. I just rewatched the entire series preparing for another podcast I did about Sherlock. And uh, that show's amazing. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Before I read our next synopsis, let's listen to Vincent Price introduce our next episode, The Sign of Four. Good evening. I'm Vincent Price. Tonight we begin a two-part tale based on the most famous of the longer stories that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote about Holmes, The Sign of Four. In the late 1880s, Conan Doyle was a struggling young doctor, intent on writing historical romances, an intention that wasn't proving very practical. So to make ends meet, he'd recently dashed off a short novel called A Study in Scarlet in which he'd introduced the world to the character of Mr. Sherlock Holmes of London. It was purely a moneymaker for the author. He had no plans of ever writing about Holmes again, and so he went back to his historical romances. It was during the summer of 1889 that an American publisher visiting London arranged what sounds to me like a most interesting dinner party. One guest was Conan Doyle, who hoped to be contracted to write a historical novel. Also at the dinner table was the current rascal of London society, Mr. Oscar Wilde. By the time dessert was served that evening, Wilde had been commissioned to write The Picture of Dorian Gray, but the American wanted Conan Doyle to put history aside and write another Sherlock Holmes novel. The young doctor had a family to support, and so he agreed to write The Sign of Four. Tonight's story introduced many of the great detective's characteristics, which we now take for granted. His superhuman powers of deduction, his disdain for the London Metropolitan Police, his confirmed bachelorhood, even his taking of cocaine. And although Conan Doyle was still new at the detective business, he knew what the public wanted. An exciting story with fascinating characters and an unsolvable puzzle. I think you'll agree that he delivers all of this and more in The Sign of Four. The exciting conclusion to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Sign of Four. You'll remember that last time Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson had been approached by the beautiful Mary Morstan to find out why, ten years earlier, her father had returned from military service in India and then disappeared and why she'd mysteriously received one valuable pearl each year, and why she'd suddenly been summoned to meet her anonymous benefactor, who described her as a wronged woman. Holmes and Watson accompanied the young lady to meet one Thaddeus Sholto. They learned that Sholto's father had served with Miss Morstan's father in India and had cheated him out of a great fortune. 
But when the four of them go to reclaim the treasure from Thaddeus's brother, they find that he had been murdered, shot with a poisoned dart, as he was counting the treasure, which has now disappeared. When we left the story last time, Holmes had sent Watson off to employ the services of Toby, a talented dog with a masterful ability for picking up a criminal's scent. Let's hope he can quickly track down an unknown peg-legged man and his mysterious companion, because that's what the great detective wants to do right now, in the conclusion to The Sign of Four. Here's Kathy to give us a recap on our second episode, The Sign of Four. I believe this is our first movie-length episode that we've covered on this show, and there's plenty more of those to come. But again, if you're not familiar with this story, you might get your ending spoiled. A very attractive Mary Morstan visits Holmes and Watson at 221B to seek help with an anonymous letter she has received. She has been invited to meet an unknown friend in order to set right an injustice she has suffered. The curious trio are escorted to the meeting and are introduced to the quite peculiar Thaddeus Sholto, who is the son of a friend of Mary's father from the Indian Army. Thaddeus explains his father on his deathbed admitted to withholding from Miss Morstan half of a secret treasure that was owed to her. Even though his father died right before divulging the location of this treasure, he and his twin brother, Bartholomew, were able to recover the hidden treasure. Now they just need to go to Bartholomew and convince him that Miss Morstan is owed her half of the treasure, just as their father intended. As they arrive, a hysterical maid greets them and is concerned about the state of her employer. Holmes and Watson enter to find a murdered Bartholomew heaped over his desk, and he has been robbed of the treasure that they came to discuss. Will Holmes and Watson be able to solve a case involving a murder and a burglary? We all know they will. Keep listening if you want to find out how. Okay, as usual, it's time for our high, lows, what does, let's have our discussion. We're each going to take a look at the good, the bad, whatever we think. And as always, we will start with our guest. You get to go first, Van Allen Plexico, sign of four. I got so much about this one. So just <laughs> this movie length one, we may be chatting for a while. Yes. Yes. Buckle up. Let's check our totes and see what oh, we I have see to what say. You're doing there. I see you're working the word tote in there. And I know why. Does Van not know why? <laughs> the actor who played both the twin brothers, the same guy who played Tote in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, that is correct. I had that note. I'll move on from that then. <laughs> there was another episode where a guy looked like that, and I did that joke through the whole episode about uh, I kept talking about my, my totes instead of my notes. But it wasn't that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it was good to see him in something else, though. You know, for a while, I thought the only thing he'd ever done in his career was play the face melting Nazi, which is not a bad career, but no, like he did it a little he, broader. He did a great job in this. He did. Yes. As two different characters, interestingly. All right. So this is the second of the four Holmes novels or long novellas, right? I think the study in Scarlet maybe was the, and then this. I feel like that's correct. 
Yes, yeah. that is correct. This one was actually came about because Arthur Conan Doyle was at dinner with the editor of Lippincott's magazine. And at the same dinner was Oscar Wilde. And the editor got Doyle to commit to write a serialized Holmes story for Lippincott's. And he got Oscar Wilde to agree to write the picture of Dorian Gray for the same magazine. So this and the picture of Dorian Gray came out of the same dinner talk. Oh, wow. I'm just going to run through some of my little bullet points here, if you guys don't mind. I know this I'm is terribly called Bull in a Pat, where you're just like, I have so much time, but I got to go. So just do I'm it. I'm trashing your format because this is no, all. No, just no, no. <laughs> go right Pat, ahead. Pat helped invent the format, and he destroys it every chance he gets. <laughs> go ahead. Guest star Jenny Seagrove, who played Mary. Well, first, this is the episode where Watson meets Mary. So how cool is that? I okay, was so I was going to ask that question. Is this his Mary, like the one he's going to get married to? Yes. Yes, he marries Mary. Remember that. I'll talk about that in my discussion. Go ahead. You got it. The actress, Jenny Seagrove, has been a couple, not married, but a couple for the last 25 years with Bill Kenwright, the chairman and majority owner of Everton Football Club in the English Premier League. So after acting for a while, she went and got in with the head of Everton. So that's the other Liverpool team besides Liverpool. It's the one that Roger Bennett on Men in Blazers is a big fan of, right? He's Liverpool. And I looked that up and I saw that he had passed away. And I thought, well, I wonder how many years ago that was. And it was yesterday. Oh, geez. What? So, so yeah, Jenny Seagrove's boyfriend, life partner of the last 25 years, just passed away the beginning of this week, just a couple of days ago. Wow. Weird. So, yeah, uh, he was apparently really, really beloved. Feel bad for Everton. This is the story where Holmes famously says, when you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however unlikely, must be the truth. Okay. They don't really say it in the TV version, but at the beginning of this story, when Holmes is all antsy, it's because he's been doing massive amounts of cocaine. It's <laughs> <laughs> find that hilarious, right? British literary characters who love to do cocaine, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Matron from Master and Commander. Which is Van's favorite movie. It's one of my favorite characters, for sure, is Dr. Matron, played by one of your favorite actors, Kathy. Paul Bettany. That is correct. The plot is hopelessly complex and labyrinthine. I really didn't understand it. I had read the book. I watched the episode a couple of years ago. I watched it again this time. I then went and read the Wikipedia page on it, and I still didn't understand everything about it. But I think I've got it far enough now that I understand what happened. I got to interject here. Format be damned. Uh, (laughs) I've seen this one a couple times, read the book many years ago. I've got a handle on the plot, and it is overly complicated. And I'm just going to throw out there, I think my biggest and maybe only low for this movie-length episode is when you have a plot that complex, spend more time spelling it out for us. They did a pretty good job of that up front, but once they start talking about the Indian prince and where the treasure came from and how they got, how he got linked up with the guys. So they like just went super fast over that. And meanwhile, they gave us what felt like a 30 minute boat chase at seven miles per hour. that just <laughs> yes. lasted forever. I'm like, we could have used this time to explain the India stuff better. <laughs> All right. I was going to get to the boat chase. Here's okay, the I'll be quiet. I'll be quiet. You've been spoiled by high speed James Bond, London boat chases and, and Louisiana boat chases. Yes. A boat chase using 1890 boats is just going to bore you. I'm sorry. It's more Thunderball for you, right, than it was <laughs> yeah, a live and let die, to be fair. Yes. 
I was going to say the boat chase, the thing that was cool about it was how all the tricks they used. Clearly, they blew like a half a season's budget on that boat chase. All the tricks they used so that you couldn't tell it was like 1984 when they filmed it, right? Mm -hmm. Because they had fog, they had smoke. They filmed from behind things where you could only see a sliver of it. They blocked out all the TV antennas and all the airplanes and everything. You know, they blocked all that stuff out really Rubik's well. cubes that were everywhere. Oh. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I mean, they did, I thought they did a really good job of being able to use London in that way when it wasn't a major motion picture that was going to be able to shut everything down, basically. I thought they did a good job with that. They also threw in a lot of other little things that we don't get to see very often. The Baker Street Irregulars mm. pop up, and they're mm-hmm. kind of cool. Yes. We see Toby. We love some Toby, Kathy. Yes, uh, we do. Oh, and I'm I believe the, I'm the, in the Toby fan club too. So. <laughs> yeah. I believe the Regulars is where we got our name from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I thought it was kind of cool that this is probably the inspiration that the the author of the Girl with the Dragon tattoo got for somebody receiving a treasure in the mail once a year. Mm. Because that's a big part of the plot of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is that that Swedish guy keeps getting a a drawing or a photo or something from the woman that died every year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a book I've actually read and I don't even remember. So good. I just rewatched both versions of it recently. And and yeah, I loved Holmes's trick for unlocking the door where he puts the newspaper in the door and knocks the key out and then pulls it. That was just brilliant. That's such a, a Arthur Conan Doyle thing. And the other thing I had a question about was that actually the actor sitting there frozen the whole time, or was that a mannequin? I think it I, was him. I think it was too, because I feel like there were a couple of times where I may saw like saw the him slightest barely movement. Move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was him. Twitch of a finger. Yeah, <laughs> I think he sat there. I do too. <laughs> That's very good for those of uh, you who are listening to the podcast. Van is holding very still. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last thing was I thought it was fun that. Holmes had to explain to Watson that when you're getting information from commoners, you can't act like it's valuable because they will demand money from you. You have to be like, oh, yes, of course, I knew that. And then walk away and be like, oh, crap, I got it. I got the information. (laughs) He did that thing where he was intentionally guessing. He had no idea. He's like, oh, that's the one with the white funnel. And she's like, no, 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 the black funnel. Exactly. Because it's more fun for the commoner to make you look silly, but he's really just right. Just reeling in the info. (laughs) That's it. That's exactly. That was brilliant. That's my take on it. Again, I don't love the plot, but there's so many elements to this one that are cool that made up for it. I wholeheartedly agree. And I wanted to touch on one of those, which you talked about the poke the key out, make it land on the paper and then pull it through. My brother taught me that trick when I was like five or six years old. Like my brother, Jason. And and now I know where he learned it because he had read all these Holmes books. <laughs> I still distinctly remember being five or six. My brother going, check this out. Check this out. And he, he, I'm going to get the key. We're going to lock it. And I'm going to get the key out. And I'm going to show you how to do it. And I was so impressed with Jason. <laughs> and I still am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you notice the key was hanging off the edge of the paper, though? If it had bounced another inch away, <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. Would not have worked. And I've seen MacGyver use the same trick, by the way, with a map. I was going to say, I've seen it somewhere before. I think it might have have been the first episode of MacGyver, because the whole thing is he uses that map to get the key. He uses it to slide down the sand dune. He uses it to patch his hot air balloon. Like He uses the map for everything to escape. It was really cool. Kathy, i got to tell you, I'm I'm amazed that 
Jared and Jason grew up in a house with giant iron keys for their doors. <laughs> That's what's fascinating to me about this. Well, we don't like to brag that we were, you know, medieval barons of Europe. <laughs> it's, it was so. It was so. Yes. Speaking of Kathy, you've been waiting so patiently. Van and I have to go it on and having fun. And it's actually your turn in round two as if the format matters. What's on yeah. your mind, Kathy? No, I, I don't mind. Going through a list of, we can change the format to that. Actually, we're still in round one, aren't we? (laughs) Well, yeah. We're not going to do rounds. We're just going to, I like the way Van just lists everything. So I'm going to kind of do the same thing in a bit of rebuttal, but kind of not. I will say my Watson watch this episode is his face when he realizes that it's Holmes that's in the beggar costume when he comes into the apartment. I love that scene. It was even better, obviously, written in the book. He's off in a corner, kind of like the episode where they're having this conversation. And all of a sudden, where did the guy go? Wait, there's Sherlock Holmes. I love that scene. But the look on Watson's face when it's revealed to be Sherlock. I love that part. And my other note under Watson Watch is he met a girl. (laughs) Yeah, he did. And a nice one, too. I know. Well, Van wasn't aware of this, but what I usually do is make notes of the differences between the stories and the TV episodes. And that was the biggest takeaway. Well, two of the things you mentioned, actually, I think this has five or six chapters to this story. And the whole first chapter is the discussion of Holmes in the midst of one of his cocaine episodes. They didn't even hint at that in the episode. But it was kind of a big chunk. Maybe the TV episode didn't want to go as dark as what Sherlock Holmes really is. But that is a big difference in the story. And then obviously, this is Watson's Mary. In the story, he proposes. Like, he practically talks about how he's in love with this woman the first time they meet. Holding hands and everything. So, I'm assuming... That they don't put that in the TV episode because they just don't want to go down that path like they did in the BBC Sherlock series where he does mm-hmm. get married mm-hmm. and that. But that is the other major difference in the episode versus the story. Uh, let's talk about I actually didn't mind the boat chase. It was a little long, but I still found it very intense. I was still. Are they going to catch him? You know, I thought it was. A good job for, like Van said, the time period that they had to film this. But, yes, it was a little bit too long. Jared, you know who was piloting that the fast one? I do not. Billy Bob. Ah, that's his brother-in-law. <laughs> I don't get it. Billy Bob will get him. He'll get him. <laughs> Billy Bob will get him. <laughs> I'm Sheriff sorry, Pepper initially calls on the radio to whoever the other guy is on the other end. It's Toby. He was Toby. <laughs> Toby. <laughs> Anyways, we're doing James Bond stuff right now. I know. I'm sorry, Kathy. I'm okay. Y'all just don't include me in the James Bond stuff. Not all of it. I did get to go to LA. I'm not. Yes, you did. You got a big piece of I got a I got a big piece of that. Let's talk about the confusion again. I read the story Sunday morning. I watched the episode Sunday afternoon. I was still so confused. It spells it out better, different order, makes a little more sense in the story, but The way they filmed, I felt like the episode was two completely different stories because we had all this with the Sholtos, but then once we got peg-legged guy, once we got him and then he's just sitting there talking and telling us the entire story 
of what happened in the past. I was so disinterested in this. I was bored. I did not like how it just felt like it was completely two different stories. My only filming thing I have to complain about is there was one scene after our good friend Toby found that, you know, obviously they had left on a boat. And there's a scene where Sherlock and Watson are having a conversation. But the way it was filmed, it was so far away. It was showing just the dock that they had been on. And you just see random people. Are they there? Like, you can't see them. All you hear is just the... And I just, I didn't like the way that was filmed. I know it's a small, tiny annoyance, but I didn't like the way it looked because I was trying to see them in the episode and all I could just do was hear them. I'm glad you mentioned that, though, because I just want to add that I noticed, I guess because this was a movie, really, episode, it seemed like the director, they tried to do more stuff in this one than they do in the average episode. Like there was that one scene where you just saw their shadows. Yeah, now that one didn't bother me as much. No, there was... And what I'm saying, I think they felt like they did some experimental stuff. Some of it worked and mm-hmm. some of it didn't. Mm-hmm. But they tried a lot of different camera angles and different techniques that you don't get in a normal episode. So I commend them for trying to make this one different because it was a movie, like doing different things. But just some of them didn't work. That's, I think yeah. that's the-, the other thing I think that did not work at all for me was that makeup job on Tonga. Was that his oh. name? Tonga? Yeah. Oh. How about makeup job? <laughs> that's the interesting one. All right. I I know I have the internet and I could have looked this up, but I didn't. Is that a real thing? Is that a real race of people or is that something they made up in the book? The Andaman Islands, I think, is a real thing. I don't know about it. I have no idea. Is there really like a tiny race of very nimble people that have these character traits that they talked about? honestly Stone Age axes and blow darts. Funny thing. Cannibals. Cannibals with axes and blow dart. Remember that they have a cannibal feast when they catch you. <laughs> I mean, right. it was, it was Sherlock very was like, mm, lovely people. <laughs> it was a very interesting character, but visually. So we don't just, know. Nobody here knows for sure whether this is a real thing. No. <laughs> well, the Andaman islands are real, but I don't know about the crazy cannibal miniature people, an Indian archipelago in the Bay of Bengal. So it's like between India and Southeast Asia. Now we need to know whether or not to avoid it. (laughs) Indigenous Andaman Islanders inhabit the more remote islands, many of which are off limits to visitors because you might get it. I'm starting to think this is a real thing. (laughs) I'm telling you. (laughs) It feels like Doyle would do something real. But then again, you're like, are these 1800s facts? You know, there's a lot of word of mouth about these kind of things back they then. didn't have Is, google back then oh man they didn't it says if you visit the andaman islands carry alcohol rub with you and use it liberally what i, I don't know why <laughs> is it a tenderizer of some kind? i <laughs> i think we're all gonna be doing the, some google searching the, later on the andaman island embassy recommends that if you visit Rub barbecue sauce liberally on (laughs) (laughs) before you walk out into the island. I feel like I'm going to have to edit all this out, but Jared, I think it's your turn now. (laughs) I think you're right. I definitely want to talk about my boy Watson. You know, I'm like Kathy. I love Watson quite a bit. And my favorite Watson moment is early in the episode when Holmes is getting uh, excited about the two of them are accompanying Mary to meet the guy at the play or opera something like that 
Sherlock's getting very excited. He's getting all his things around. And then he turns to Watson. He's like, are you ready? And Watson's already ready. Watson's no rookie. He's like, and waiting. I've got my stuff on, blah, blah, blah. And then as they're walking out, ever the prepared soldier, he chooses his walking stick based on girth and how hard he can hit somebody with it. Because they don't know what they're going to. I love soldier Watson. I mean, he's probably the military man in me, but I just love that Holmes has this guy who's thinking about these very practical things. Well, Holmes is like, ooh, ooh, I'm going to solve a mystery. Watson's like, I might have to whoop some tonight, so I need my (laughs) whooping stick. You know, I love that. I just love it. And I like, isn't that the same scene where he turns to Watson? He's like, two minutes. The look on Holmes' face is like, what? (laughs) Very cool stuff. Another good high for me is I just always love sort of that, in this case, very literal. Locked room murder mystery, and it's so much fun to watch Holmes go through it, you know, looking and seeing and figuring out, oh, got the rope and I got this hole here, and then you can shimmy here and blah blah, blah. just piecing it all together. That's just something I love in every every Holmes episode. So that was yeah. definitely a big high for me. Other than that, it's kind of the same as you guys. I already mentioned I thought the seven mile per hour steamboat chase is like. <laughs> I remember the first time I watched this episode, I was with Jason was visiting me for a summer about two years ago or three years ago. And we watched it together. We both commented. We were like, what's the deal (laughs) with the extra long boat chase? It just kind of goes on and on. And I know that they had to fill a runtime and looking at this one, I think it runs at an hour and 44 minutes, which means probably a two hours of block on TV with 16 minutes of commercials. Right. And I'm just like, in the end of the day, I would either A, have you cut down on that boat chase and use that to more thoroughly explain how the treasure got to where it was and all that stuff, or B, make this a 90-minute block of time episode. I just feel like there was a lot that could have been trimmed down, like when the younger, what's his name, Schultz, the tote guy, when he's smoking his hookah and telling a story, he is telling that at a painfully slow (laughs) pace. (laughs) I was like, I think Watson Holmes and Miss Morstan would agree. But, yeah, they were all feeling it. They're like, oh boy, because Watson was even like, we're going to get, the, we got to, we got to, <laughs> come on. Time is money, man. Come and on. We, and none of us have mentioned the guy who was not Lestrade, who was actually worse than Lestrade with his smarmy police ways. Oh, but I did love, he was like, hello. All I heard in my head was Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> hello. He had a certain charm about him, but it was like a, an oily charm, whereas like, okay, you're you're playing nice, but you're kind of a turd. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at yeah, the end wait, of the about day, the lock, the locked. He's like, oh, it was locked. It makes no difference. <laughs> it makes no difference. It was dead body. Get up here and lock this door. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? You know, that guy was not likable, but yet in some ways he was. Because I think this is a good episode to sort of highlight not just. Holmes's relationship with that guy whose name I can't remember, but let's just basically say he's a stand-in for Lestrade, a little turdier version of Lestrade. But it really gives you their point of view in a way that you don't see a lot. And by that, I mean, they don't like to give ground to Holmes and say, oh, he's smarter than us. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Holmes kind of picks and chooses what cool mysteries he's going to solve while they're out there having to do the hard stuff, the grunt work, looking at dead bodies that have been killed in horrible ways. And Holmes has seen all that stuff, too. But they have no choice. These are real cops on the front lines dealing with terrible things. And so I get the animosity. This guy's, like I say, he was a little slicker, but still quite the turn <laughs> in some ways. That makes so, sense. 
So I think it helps kind of explain to a lot of how Lestrade feels about it. And I don't know if there's ever a, I can't remember if there's a home story that goes more into that. He's the workman who's out there every day on every case, not just the fun ones, not just the cool ones, not just the classy ones, but just the terrible, terrible stuff that, that he has to do. And uh, I think that's why they kind of don't like Holmes a little bit. That And he's always, you know, outsmarting them. We've kind of talked out <laughs> a lot of this. Well, I did want to mention, none of us really mentioned the fact that does anybody in this episode really deserve that treasure? Well, nobody got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because it was stolen from from my understanding. It was stolen from that poor man that just showed up on this island in the first place. It was not. It was stolen from an Indian prince. Right. Who was by playing, the four. Playing both sides of the rebellion. Oh, you know, he was okay. like, had one foot in with the British and one foot in with the rebellion. And he wasn't sure which way it was going to go, but he was trying to protect his treasure. Okay. okay. So it was, yeah, it was stolen treasure the whole time. Right. So nobody truly deserves it. <laughs> Let me ask you this. My understanding in the book was that he threw it in the river. Did they throw it in the river? I don't remember yes. him showing that in the TV. They didn't show it, but he showed I, it in flashback. When they opened it up and the box was empty, there was a quick flashback showing the the bobbles going into the water okay. like shortly oh, after the um, native, the tiny native dude did. Okay. I, didn't, I must have missed that too. Yeah, I did too. It was very quick and you were probably checked out by Because <laughs> like Kathy said, the back half, the oh, half, back 20 minutes or so is really just peg leg guy telling mm-hmm. a fairly confusing story. It's kind of like, what does it matter at this point? The treasure's gone. You're under arrest. Right. And then I'm sitting there going, Okay, what is he under arrest for? He had a hand in killing Bartholomew. I mean, he didn't kill him. The native dude did, but I guess he's an accessory to murder and some breaking and entering. But other than that, like all of his crimes were long gone in a different country. I guess he's technically an escaped convict, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Because he was on that island because he was. He was basically convicted of conspiracy with the four. You know, their whole. I never understood the four. I was going to say, when the boat chase ended and things were kind of wrapping up, I looked and there was still, like you said, like 20 minutes to go. And I'm like, how are there still 20 minutes left? <laughs> <Exactly. story?" laughs> like, what is going on? Well, yeah. now we got to tell the story of where the treasure came from and could have been done a little. I think they gave the audience like too much credit. Like, dumb it down for me, man. Make this. A, <laughs> give me the. Absolutely. The a to B to C on this one. Anyway. All right. So with that, it's time to give it back to Kathy so we can put some scores to the sign of four, which interestingly enough, you don't need to see the first three. Fourth one's the best one. Got to use that joke on both rounds. Wow. Wow, that's right. All right. We've gotten through discussion of the sign of four. What did we think of this episode? As a reminder, we have a system in place that helps us rate each episode. On a scale of one to five pipes, five, you loved it. It solved your mystery. Aha! Four, it was really good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Three, it was all right. Yeah. Two, you did not like it. Mm-mm, mm-mm. One, you hated it. It threw you off of Reichenbach Falls. <sighs> so, Van, how would you rate this episode? Well, like you, Kathy, the previous one, Napoleon's, I started at four and worked my way down to three. This one, for similar reasons, I started at two, which is that the plot just hurt my head and was way too long. This should have been a 40 minute episode. And I raise it up to a three on account of all the neat things from the irregulars to Toby, to some of the quotes to Mary, 
there were just so many peripheral ancillary things that I'm going to give it a three. If this had been just a 40-minute episode and didn't have all those things, it would probably be a two. Although I think it would have been better (laughs) in some ways (laughs) to be shorter. You know what I mean? Right. Because it was longer, the little extras kind of made it better than it really should have been. And the performance of Sholto, I really enjoyed him in the first half of it. And then, of course, I enjoyed his performance where he just sat there and didn't move for 15 minutes, too. So that was very impressive, too. So I kind of end up with both of these episodes coming around to a three, but from different directions, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I feel like we didn't talk enough about him in our discussion. But, Jared, what did you think of the episode? What do you rate it? We also didn't talk enough about Toby, who was awesome. And yes, they could have cut down the scenes of Toby going through London and them chasing after him. But no, I want to see more of that. I would have traded eight minutes of boat chase. (laughs) Toby should have been on the boat with them. (laughs) Yes, I will watch eight extra minutes of them just running through London after Toby because Toby was awesome. Yes. Uh, At the end. Oh, 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 Jared, Jared. I'm glad you said that because I was going to say this and I forgot. When Toby's out looking, sniffing, trying to find the creosote or whatever, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then he's sitting there on top of the barrel and Watson doesn't at first realize what the barrel is or something. Right. And so he's like, Oh, Toby has failed. He's given up or he's, he didn't say that, but that's the vibe you get from Watson is Toby has given up and he's just sitting there on top of the barrel. And Holmes is like, no, look at what's in it. He found mm-hmm. the mother load. Right. And I just love that. Then you look at Toby and he's just sitting on that barrel, like <laughs> so proud of himself. He's like, I, I found have it. found it's it. It's all mine. Yeah, he says, I have found it, you guys. You're welcome. I just love how he had that attitude. It was so cool. He is worth the entirety of the London police force. (laughs) Yes, he was. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. That's so good. But back to the scoring, Kathy. I think I'm going to join Van. I think this is a three for me. Three with a smile on my face, though, because as we talked about, I think this is the first movie-length one. This is where they really pushed things a bit. And while they may have missed a few marks, I applaud them for, you know, doing a feature film. And like Van said, creative ways of making it look like old London. So, yeah, I'll I'll land on a three. And I think I'm going to join y'all on three island. And the Andaman island of three. There you go. The island of three, the sign of the four. Yes. You know, there were the high points. There were the low points. So I'm going to go right in the middle and join you guys with a three. I would go back to something Van said. You can't really do it because the sign of four is this novella long story, but a 45-minute episode where they basically meet Mary and solve the death of the twin brother is really all we needed. That was was the exciting exciting home stuff. Man, who dug up all those holes in their front yard (laughs) just to find (laughs) the dang treasure in their attic? (laughs) Somebody put some backbreaking work into that. The golfer. I'm going to kill all the golfers. (laughs) He kill all the gophers, you know. <laughs> lock me up and throw away the key. They lock us up, man. <laughs> Not the gophers, you idiot. The gophers. <laughs> Before we ride off in our handsome cab for this episode, let's thank the Crusaders Club members who help pay the rent here at 221B. These are the fine folks who have joined our crusade. They enjoy early access to special long box episodes, voting to determine show content. They get priority seating to be guests on episodes and so much more. Here are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much-appreciated support to the show. Angelica Wolf. Auburn Elvis. Bill Beer. Blasted or Stash It. Braxton Underwood. Captain Entropy. Clark Westfield. Clinton Robison. Dave Collins. Ezra Gallo. Gary Viola. Gene Hendricks. Gerald Green. 
Jason King. Jason Lady. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman, Jim Jarman. I hope you like Jim Jarman too. Jim Meal. Joe Thomas. John Watson. Josh Strickland. Candace Ward. Kathy Bright. The MVP. Ooh. Hey, that's me. Mark Ross. Matt and Lizzie Passo. Maxwell Traver. Miranda W. P.D. Devins. Paul Hicks. Rick from Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Spidey 67. Spreadsheet. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Tony Pennington. And the Toronto Cop. If we miss anyone on the list, we apologize. Keep in mind we record these episodes well in advance of release. So if you're a recent edition, we'll add you soon. But still, no worries. Let us know we missed you by sending your hate-filled emails to contact at longboxcrusade.com and Pat will get it all straightened out. As a reminder, you can become a Crusaders Club member by heading over to patreon.com slash longboxcrusade for as little as $1 a month. You get access. You get all the access. The Amazing World of the Crusaders Club. Come check it out. Offer not available in all areas, especially for Jason. That will wrap up another episode of LBC Irregulars and these two Sherlock Holmes stories. We'd love to hear from you if you're familiar with any variation of Sherlock Holmes, including the Granada adaptations. We can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Longbox Crusade. Email contact at longboxcrusade.com. You can call us at 707-532-5269. That's 707-532-LBOX. Pick up the phone. Okay, if you want to chat with me personally, I can be found at Yard Sale Artist on the X and the Instagram and the Facebook. Or you can check out my artwares at www.theyardsaleartist.com. Kathy? I can be found on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at AUKathy2418. And that's Kathy with a K. Van? I'm on Twitter at Van Allen Plexico and www.plexico.net. Be sure to join us next quarter as we take a look at the first two episodes of Season 4 or second season of Return of Sherlock Holmes. We've went over this already. As aired on ITV in England. Bye! Bye! Bye-bye. Cheerio! Pip-pip. <laughs>